Revealing Voices is a mental health podcast that is faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. Host Tony Roberts and guest hosts with lived experience take you on a journey of revealing voices, working for justice, crying out for healing, speaking the truth in love, and expressing beauty in art. I'm Kevin Early Bird Early, technical producer and sound mixer, and I want to welcome you to Revealing Voices. Hello and welcome to Revealing Voices. I am your guest host, Kevin Early Bird Early, and I'm filling in for Tony Roberts for this podcast. And I have a multi-hyphenate artist, musician. Uh, He can tell you about what he does, but he's been my friend for over 25 years. I met him when I went to art school in Brooklyn. And he's the first person who came to my mind when I was given the task of hosting this podcast, and he's a remarkable stand-up human being. I'll let him introduce himself in his own words. This is Stan Substantial Robinson. Peace. What's going on? Thanks for having me, Kev. Yeah, so as you mentioned, multi-hyphenate MC or rapper to some producer, uh, music producer specifically, visual artist, graphic designer, educator for over 20 years, yeah, author now. Been busy, man, (laughs) you know? All right, well, I'll get started with the questions. The first one I have, I listened to your new album, which I highly recommend for anyone who likes hip hop or music in general. His new album is called Adultish. It comes out when, later this month? Comes out July 14th on Bandcamp and all streaming services on July 28th. Okay, so if you're interested after the podcast, please support his new album coming out. But he has a story on his new album when he talks. I was hoping he could go a little more in depth about this story. He said he traveled to Japan with $33 in his pocket to work on his debut album with the producer Nujabez, rest in peace, Mm -hmm. the time someone you had never met. So that story really stuck out to me. And I've known you for 25 years. I never heard it. So I'd like to hear more about that story and if you could weave in about how faith or belief in a higher power guided you in making a journey and what did it mean for you to be able to successfully complete that journey? Sure. Yeah. So so the story goes, a friend of mine who we actually both knew from college, uh, my man Tomo, I'm not sure if you remember him, but Tomo was from Japan originally and he he rapped as well. We would hang out. He had a mixtape, the homie Bisco Smith, who went to Pratt, had made, it featured me on there rapping, doing what I do. When he went back to Japan, he was working at a record store for Nujibes, and Nujibes asked him if he knew any rappers from New York that he should be basically be checking out or try to work with. And so Tomo recommended me. He took a listen, liked what he heard. He reached out to me. We had a conversation about the possibility of doing some work after sending him some music. So I sent him music. He liked more, he liked the additional stuff I sent and offered me a record deal with his company and offered to fly me to Japan to record my debut album. So, yeah, it was uh, this all kind of happened over a couple months. But, you know, regardless to how good everything sounded, this opportunity to travel abroad opportunity to have a record deal while I was still, you know, I hadn't even turned 21 yet to do a lot of stuff that, you know, 
some would say that like people dream to do. Uh, of course, you know, sounds great. But at the same time, this was not a situation where I was getting offered to do this and bring somebody I knew with me. You know, granted, somebody I knew is who introduced me to him uh, to him. It wasn't like we were introduced in person. And this is back when the Internet is still relatively young. You know, we only really communicated via email and occasional phone calls, but we had never met in person. So, there, you know, there was a lot of trust involved with this. You know, like I didn't really have all of the details mapped out. I was supposed to be there for a month. So it was a ton of trust. I, I had faith in my ability as an artist. I really believed in what I was doing. And I believe that my gift and, and my skills that I developed over time is what provided me these opportunities. So um, one thing, you know, I am not I, I should say, um, you know, I believe in a higher power, but but I'm not necessarily subscribed to one belief system, so to speak. But I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, us believing in ourselves connect that with the divine, right? If we believe that the Most High gave you these gifts and then you develop the skills along with these gifts to help get you where you want to be in life, you know, I almost feel like not believing in yourself is the equivalent of not believing in whatever you call the Most High, right? Whatever you call God, the God of your understanding. Walking walking in our, our faith, so to speak, for me is it's a combination and in, in trusting the Most High, trusting the universe but also trusting yourself, right? That you have what you need to get you where you need to be. So yeah, man, I, I just, I, I took a leap of faith. And here we are almost, not quite a quarter of a century, but almost a quarter of a century later, you know, wow. talking about this, you know? It's it's interesting to me because it sounds like the cliche immigrant story where you're like, my grandfather came to this country with $35 and he made <laughs> himself up with a bootstrap. And you literally went to another country and did the same thing. So it's very impressive Yeah, that you were able to, I, I can't imagine showing up in a completely different culture. Um, I don't think you, did you speak a lot of Japanese? No, no. Yeah. I didn't speak the language at all. I didn't know what he looked like. I knew his name. Um, he, he had a picture of me, but I did not have a picture of him. And, uh, the airport, like holding your name up or something, bro. I, I just showed up at the airport and trusted the fact that, I was going to be one of the few black guys there and they would put two and two together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah, they had a sign up that says substantial on it and stuff. So, you know, it worked out. I'm happy to hear that it worked out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A remarkable story. Well, since this is a mental health podcast, I mm -hmm. wanted to talk to you about this next topic because we hear a lot that the black community is less likely to talk about mental health or seek treatment or therapy for mental health and we also hear about structural disparity in mental health care or health care in general. I know I just heard a story about some athletes who were Olympians and four of them won like a gold medal. And mm -hmm. since they won the gold medal, three of them have died from complications with childbirth. Mm -hmm. so that's not even mental health. That's just complications with the healthcare system in general that black community faces. So, I'm wondering for the audience that we have here, what do you think are some ways that people who work in the mental health field could help foster an environment to make it easier for people in the black community to seek help and obtain treatment? And why do you think people in the black community face such disparity in treatment? And then the second part of the question is, I know it's a big question, but 
Mm. Why can those who are not black and want to support the black community in mental health treatment and recovery do to support them? For sure. No. Yeah, I'll try to try to get as much of that without having to circle back to the question as possible. I would say I think that a lot of the issues stem from and everyone does this, not just not just black folks or not just white folks. But a lot of times we make decisions and assumptions based on what our experience is. So these the health system that's in place as we know it, the justice system, all of these different things were created with certain people in mind to benefit certain people. A lot of times the people who are developing something, while they say that they have everyone in mind, a lot of times when they say everybody, they're thinking of everyone they come in contact with uh, on their day to day. So it's important for us to acknowledge the fact that a lot of the different things and systems that exist, because we live in a country that is majority white, at the time when a lot of these things were established, it was created with other white people in mind, right? And that 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 statement by itself wasn't is I don't believe is inherently racist, so to speak. It's just it's just the truth, right? Like if majority of the people you interact with on a day-to-day basis are this, then when you do something and say, I'm doing this for people, nine times nine times out of ten, you're talking about the people you come in contact with. Now, now that I've got that out the way, outside of that, of course, there are uh, sometimes people involved with these systems that do not have other groups' best interests at heart. Number one, it's impossible for you to have someone else's uh, best interest at heart if you do not spend enough time with them, if you do not have an understanding of their culture, their way of life, if you make statements like, well, you know, everybody, blah, blah, blah. No, not everyone does the same thing, responds to certain treatments the same way. It's important that, for example, in restaurants now, they ask you outright, do you have any allergies, right? Uh, Food allergies. The same way when you go into a doctor's office, they ask if you have any allergies to certain types of medication, et cetera, et cetera, right? So those things are paramount in terms of like trying to make sure that you provide someone the proper care because if you give them the wrong thing, you can potentially kill them. Right. And so it's also important to understand and address our own biases and take the time to acknowledge that sometimes the person who's in that room may exhibit some of these biases or or may quietly have some of these biases. And there and we've seen studies, you know, going to physical health. Um, you know, you were mentioning the athletes who passed away and stuff, studies showing how the challenges that black women have faced and the mortality rate, um, the big difference that we see in that. And so so I think a lot of this distrust and and people not being comfortable with, you know, maybe seeking medical attention or seeking help for their mental health is a great distrust like amongst the black community and not just the black community. I would say like black community, poor communities in general. Right. Like they they do not believe that a lot of these systems have their best interests at heart. And there's evidence, there's there's actual evidence and real history to show that it hasn't always had their best interests at heart. That That's a real challenge. I think a lot of times when people are looking for answers or looking for help, I know for me, I'm always, when I'm quote unquote auditioning doctors, right? Or different people, I, I'm looking to see how they treat me, right? 
not just the treatment, the medical treatment they give me, but the respect, the conversation. Are they listening to what I'm telling them? I feel right because neither one of us know just yet. Right. We're trying to figure out how I feel or how I feel so I can give you some direction on how's best to maybe address some of these issues I'm experiencing. And it's important to to understand that if you do not have a lot of experience with people who are from my background, then maybe it may be necessary to seek the advice and guidance from someone who's had a bit more experience with someone like me. Quick example, too, and I know this is a bit long, so I apologize, but my wife recently, not too long ago, she went into the dentist. They noticed something with her teeth and and then they made these they made some suggestions stating that she might need to have a, a root canal and this and that. It was a lot. And, and I could tell in her voice like she was nervous about that. Luckily, another doctor who she met with, another dentist who she met with, who had a bit more experience working with black women in particular, had noticed that there were studies that basically showed that there was something in with black women where their teeth in certain areas appeared a certain way. And so things that people often mistook as this, oftentimes in black women meant something else. So a lot of the, yeah, so a lot of the things that the person was suggesting, uh, suggesting wouldn't have been necessary to actually do and could have ran a ridiculous amount of money and and pretty much done like major damage to my wife's teeth. But luckily she got that second opinion. I mean, luckily she didn't even have to go out of that dentist office. There was just another dentist who had more experience working with black women and who happened to know these facts. And so, man, just, you know, like that's crazy. But this is the world we live in. And I think until people become comfortable with acknowledging the fact that Yes, we may be mostly the same. There are extreme, there are, there are very real differences in our bodies, in our minds, in our life experience and stuff like that, that how, how we acknowledge those and how we act on that information can literally save someone's life. Wow. We have a saying in the mental health community, nothing about us without us. And I say that would probably fit. I know there's intersectionality and overlap between mental health and the black community, but it seems that's something that could apply to the black community too. nothing about us without us. So Mm -hmm. I know it's it takes progress to get people in these white institutions who are not white uh, to get black people integrated into these these rooms and these offices and these buildings. It takes progress. So hopefully uh, we will continue to see more people from your community integrate into the medical establishment who can bring this perspective to the people they serve. Because you really, it, it makes sense in a mental health world, but it also makes sense in a race uh, with the race differences, nothing about us without us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to add to what I was saying before, you know, like outside of the story uh, with my wife, my own situation with you know my my cancer scare from from years back where the doctor found a precancerous growth that whole process was so educational to me and luckily the doctor that I worked with although he was white I was told by several people before I saw him that he was you know one of the best in the state of Maryland when it came to this procedure I had to have and what I learned is that oftentimes 
the procedure that they recommend that, that people get when they're a certain age, right? At the age of 50. Yes, yes, colonoscopy. And so when they, at that particular time, the one thing the doctor told me, he was like, they tell most people or people in general that you should get this at this particular age. And at this time, keep in mind, this is like 2010, 2011, when we had this conversation, he told me, he was like, you know, I oftentimes let folks know that if you're African-American, you should go five years earlier. You should go at the age 45. Now, if you look nowadays, in a lot of situations, people are saying now that it is recommended to go earlier, right? To go to do this procedure a bit earlier. Around the same time as what my doctor initially suggested to me. And had they not given me, keep in mind that that five years earlier was 45. At the time when I had this procedure done, I was in my early 30s, right? And and they caught this precancerous growth. So imagine me waiting 20, nearly 20 years to find out, you know, like imagine what where my, uh, that cancer would have been. Yeah, and, and, you and know? It saved your life in that regard, having somebody knowledgeable and willing to have those conversations with you. Absolutely. So obviously listeners of this show know about my story and my dad's story, my mental health recovery journey. And you've been there when I was going through my mental health journey. Mm -hmm. A little personal, we just talked about colonoscopy. That's pretty personal. But uh, mm -hmm. have you ever personally experienced any other mental health challenges or known people in your private life that needed help? And what advice would you give to people who are going through mental health challenges? Yeah, for sure. Although I've never been clinically diagnosed with depression, I would, you know, if I was to self-diagnose, I would definitely, I think I've dealt with depression in some form over the years. There was a point in time where I did go, you know, I met I met with a therapist uh, to discuss a lot of this stuff. Like a lot of folks, when you are ex experiencing certain trauma young, you know, you spend a lot of time like talking to your school counselors or or, or different people, you know, depending on what level of school you're in. I spent a lot of time doing that very young because of certain trauma. Like I lost my, my father when I was 10, buried a, a ton of family members. You know how they say death comes in threes. You know, we had lost a lot of family and friends from my, I want to say from fourth grade to like my ninth grade year. You know, I lost everything, like everyone from my father to uh, both my grandfathers, a couple of my uncles different people I knew in my neighborhood and stuff, you know, and then was experiencing stresses from certain violent situations that I was, you know, caught up in through no fault of my own, just wrong place at the wrong time. And um, yeah, man, all of that stuff was ex extremely stressful. And it wasn't until much later in life, just dealing with the challenges of it's, it's hard enough just being a person in this world sometimes, but being a black man in this country sometimes, a lot of times adds additional stresses that no one should have to experience and then mix that with the fact that I'm a father. So I'm not only trying to make sure I do my best to provide at all times for the people I care about most, but then I, you know, I'm in constant, I'm constantly worried about their safety of recognizing that, you know, we live in a place that doesn't always value their lives. I mean, oftentimes talks about how cute they are, but once they hit a certain point, they, they age out of that cuteness, you know, they're, they're viewed as a threat. My experience has been like, uh, you know, I tr I've, uh, I went to, to see someone at one point in time to talk about what I was going through. The initial experience I had was not very good because their response, 
they seem very overwhelmed. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, and that that kind of took me aback. Like I could, that was a that was a crazy feeling. Like to to look at a person as you know they tell they ask you to tell them what's going on. I tell them what's going on and what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing. And I'm looking at their face, and um, I didn't know them extremely well, obviously, but I could see that, like, you know, I felt like I said too much, oh, and that, wow. and that made me, that made me wonder if I was in the right place. And then immediately the conversation shifted after talking to, like, what medications they could put me on, and and all of that. And I'm not someone who over medicates or takes a lot of medication. You know, I'm always thinking about like. Are there things I can change in my diet first and foremost? Can I exercise more? Are there certain activities I could do, certain like things to read? Like I'm always thinking to go there first and foremost and medicate and medication a lot of times is a last resort for me. It's not that I don't take any, but it made me it made me very apprehensive about working with this person further because of the feeling I got when I looked into their face when I was talking. And they had they offered very little in conversation. It almost immediately went to medication. And so since then, I've been recommended to other people. But I, I try to go based on recommendations, and for, uh, especially because this was a person I found on my own. It wasn't offered recommendation. So I've tried to go that route, and I haven't been lucky enough where any of the people that have been recommended to me uh, had availability to take on new patients. So yeah, so I'm. So I'm currently looking, <laughs> but yeah. That seems to be a common thread when you talk to people looking for therapists. And then yeah. you find one. I have one that I see, but it's a struggle to get in once a month because her schedule books up. And especially yeah. with the pandemic, they've got all the therapists who are working have very packed schedules. So that's another. Yeah. It's just like finding the right medication, finding the right therapist can take some time too. Sure. And trusting the therapist to be able to unload on them like you did is another obstacle that people face with therapy. Yeah. Um, shift gears here and talk a little bit about being creative. Um, sure. We met in art school, so we're definitely both creative, but how does being creative affect your mental health? Do you find the creative process or being a creative person helps you with whatever challenges you face in your life? You know, I don't want to pretend like there aren't times I don't feel hopeless, you know, like I, I definitely experience that feeling like every now and then. But I will say that being creative and coming from the background that I come from, it has made me feel that like no matter how bad things get, that I am capable of figuring out a solution to almost anything, right? And I have the skill set to to kind of, you know, pivot and do what I need to do in any given moment to make my situation better. That creativity, that's something I discovered really, really young, right? Mo uh, not most people, but a lot of people deal with a lot of stresses dealing with money. And that's something that very young, I, I learned, I mean, like elementary school, like second, third grade, I talk about all the time how I learned how to make money really, really, really young based on my using my creative abilities. Right. And so that has that has helped in a lot of ways, because some of the main stresses that a lot of creatives deal with uh, has a lot to do with being undervalued. Right. Not being 
paid properly for for the work we do and making it like finding it very difficult, finding it difficult to make a sustainable living doing the things you're most passionate about. And so creativity um, in a lot of ways has allowed me to to figure out solutions um, to a lot of those challenges and most importantly, help others who experience those same feelings and, and gather resources and information and kind of help them, you know, allow them to be able to take care of themselves using their, their gifts and their skill set. So um, also, you've been married for a long time and you conduct business with your wife. Yeah. Does your marriage and your relationship with your wife affect your work and mental health balance? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, shout out to my wife, man. Uh, shout out to everyone who's married up, <laughs> right? Like who finds a partner that that is supportive, encouraging, you know, someone who like, you know, without a doubt, she's uh, my best friend. Yeah, man, it's, it's just nice to be able to talk, uh, to have someone to talk to about pretty much anything you need to talk about. And know that this person knows you well enough to not immediately think the worst, no matter how crazy what you're about to say is. So, yeah, I mean, whether it's a wife or just a friend, like everyone deserves someone like that in their lives. And um, I'm extremely grateful to have uh, her as my my life partner, but also my business partner um, early on when we would meet people when we would go to networking events and, you know, we would meet people, tell them how we're husband and wife, but we also run this business together all the time. And people was like, Ooh, I tried that before. Blah, blah, blah. Just immediately just negative, <laughs> negative comments about working with your spouse, like all the time. And I see it online sometimes, but grateful that has not been our experience. You know, we've uh, confided in each other a lot, push each other forward and encourage each other and and you know and we don't look at what the other person is doing to push themselves forward in whatever like you know opportunity they get we don't always look at it as how it's inconveniencing the other right like it's it's always like man that sounds amazing you know 100 percent if that's what you want to do i got your back if there are some things that might be challenging with it like we have constructive conversations and figure out how we can make it work so that the other person feels fulfilled, right? Because a lot of times we're trying to pursue these things because it's something that, you know, is calling us. And so um, that keeps us, that allows us to avoid feeling bitter and resenting the other person because we we're, we encourage each other to try new things and, and support those decisions and do a lot of business together. Well, I think not only with the marriage, but also with mental health and the healthcare system, difficult, hard, honest conversations are necessary in both both situations, I think. Yeah, for sure, man. You gotta have those uncomfortable, difficult conversations and you gotta practice radical honesty. Yeah, so with discomfort gonna, comes uh, growth, right? Exactly, you can't stay in your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna pivot a little bit and talk about your music. Mm -hmm. I haven't edited it into the the program yet i usually do this in the post productions though behind the scenes here but normally when you listen to the revealing voices podcast you hear some music that i have composed that tony uses but for this special episode i'm using an instrumental that uh stan has produced for this but this episode 
So the music you hear at the beginning of the podcast and the music you hear at the end of the podcast is produced by Stan here. So anyone who is unfamiliar with your music, your music is full of a lot of inspiring messaging and you have built a community of fans who interact offline and online. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the role of community and how community influences being a creative professional and how you remain so positive and continue to inspire people with your music when the world can often be a challenging place. And the second part of that is how do you deal with the pressure of having people look up to you and be inspired by your work? Is it hard to be a role model for others? Mm, man, yes, yeah, a lot. I think in terms of the importance of community, you know, first and foremost, shout out, shout out, you know, my fans. Uh, they have dubbed themselves. It's important for me to say that because I don't want anyone to think that I came up with it. But they decided to label themselves as supporters, right? Like substantial supporters. Yeah, man, they're they're just they're awesome. I'm not a person. I'm a person who maybe uh, like I know for a fact that millions of people have heard my music around the world at this point. But you look at my fan base in terms of consistent supporters or supporters, as they call themselves. It has it's it's a very small, small like group uh, of folks. Right. Maybe like if I was to guess, like maybe like a couple hundred folks who consistently support in some type of way uh, what I do, man, they're just super they're super giving and they they give me space to be my authentic self. I don't feel like I need to, to constantly put on or or ever really put on and pretend to be something I'm not for them. Um, and they and they meet me where I am. Yeah, man. I think when you have a community of people around you, any type of community around you that allows you to do that, you feel seen. You also feel like there's room to grow. And most importantly, there's there's room to grow with others, because a lot of times we a lot of times we feel like we got to run away from certain people in our lives to grow. So I'm grateful that I've been able to grow with my audience, grow with my partner, grow with friends like you. You know, because I because I do recognize that there are a lot of people who don't have that. But I want to be clear is luck. You know, maybe luck has a little bit to do with it. Right. I, I'll give folks the benefit of the doubt. Maybe luck has a little bit to do with it. But more than anything, it's been work. It's been a lot of work. And, you know, I think part of building community, uh, building community requires some consistency. Right. And I've, I'm a person who's been very consistent over the years in terms of showing up delivering a particular thing that I've come to be expected people expect from me because of the foundation I've laid in terms of being a role model you know it's not something I wake up every day and say I'm going to make sure I'm a particular way so people respect me and look up to me it's not really a lot of that it's more of I know what I want for myself I know what I want I know what type of person I want to be for my partner. I know what type of person I want to be for my kids. And I know that when I meet other people, you know, I, I'm hoping that, you know, I leave them with a good feeling, right? Like I, I want, yeah, I'm not a person that walks around saying, oh, I don't really care what others think, you know? It's, it's not that I live my life based on what others think, but I do, but I do recognize that if I'm coming across people who I deem to be good people, and they've made me feel good, made me feel loved, made me feel respected. The least I can do is make sure that they feel the same way. In terms of me making the type of music I make, 
It's not like I'm a person who pretends like negative things in the world don't happen. I definitely address that in my music too. But, you know, me making a bunch of music just, you know, I don't feel hopeless most days, right? Most of the time, um, I don't walk around. I would say 90% of the time I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm inspired, I feel loved, you know. And then occasionally, like, you know, I don't feel that way. You know what I mean? And then it's never for long periods of time. But I think the music that I make is a reflection of that. If it seems like a lot of my music is positive, it leans heavy, heavy that way, in spite of all the challenges I faced. And a lot of these artists that we hear who music is very negative, and I'm not judging them. The, the fact of the matter is I've lived through a lot of the things that those guys talk about, too. Like I'm from those communities. I've done some of the things that these guys are talking about or been a firsthand witness to a lot of that stuff. So I know these things are real. But I'm also I'm from a lot of these places. And I oftentimes feel like we don't. There's so much good that comes from these places, too. There's so many there's so many things that we have to laugh about cry about be happy about be proud of and i i don't oftentimes i don't hear it represented in the music as much as i've experienced it growing up in these same places so i try to make sure that the music i offer adds some balance to make it a more authentic representation of what um these experiences have been you know and recognizing where i am now you know this is I, I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast you were the first person i thought of man i appreciate it thank you the opportunity so this is the part where you get to plug your album anything else you want to plug you can drop your social media anyone wants to reach you or come to one of your shows this is the part where you can stand on your soapbox and announce all that for anyone who wants to follow you or support you Okay, cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, so again, my name's Substantial. Uh, my website, IamSubstantial.com. You can also check out the company I run with my wife called Substantial Art and Music. Uh, our website is SubArtAndMusic.com or S-U-B-A-R-T-A-N-D-M-U-S-I-C.com. As far as social media, you can you can look up at Substantial Music on some platforms and other platforms as I Am Substantial. Or you just Google substantial with the word hip hop. And if you put in substantial hip hop, I usually pop up. But yeah, man, the new album, Adultish, coming out very soon. Adultish is a is an album for grownups with more growing to do, you know, as the way I like to define the record. Definitely check it out. It's a record that speaks it speaks to my truth, what my experiences have been, my growth, um, the growth of the people around me. Um, it's, a, it's a celebration of, of growing older, which we don't always hear. Uh, we, and I mean, not in the sense of celebrating birthdays, but in the sense of like, you know, recognizing what we've lived through and recognizing that we got more living to do and making a conscious effort to celebrate our growth in a way that hopefully inspires others to live long and fruitful lives. So, um, yeah, Adultish coming soon to a streaming platform near you, son. All right. Thank you, Stan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, sharing your story with the Revealing Voices community. And uh, hopefully everyone checks out your new album. I've had the pleasure of listening to it early, and I think it's probably your best work that you've done. Man. You've raised the bar pretty high. So to say that uh, means a lot. So wow. thank you, bro. Uh, that's all I have for you. We're going to let some of your music take us out here.